Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome. I am your revered or reviled host, Josh Peterson, and I'm joined here by Colin. It's, is it Doran or is, is that right? It's, it's kind of Doran, Duran. Um, I'm not precious, in fairness. <laughs> so uh, so I don't mind either way. I mean, when I was brought up, it was Doran, but people go Duran. Yeah, I'm easy. All right. All right. I just want to make sure because, you know, I, I got like a Peterson with a D, but everyone always calls it Pedersen. So I know that sometimes right. people, you know. All I'm right. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Otherwise known as Colin, a lead singer of 100 Reasons. How you doing, man? I'm really good, man. I'm chilled out and relaxed. It's, it's the evening where I am. So I'm just... Uh, yeah, just just chilled out. What's uh what does the winding down the night look like for you normally? Um, well, the the wife's taken my little guy up to bed, so I've got the, the dog on the sofa to the other side of me, just chilling out. Um and then generally I'll 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 play video games in the evening. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, what are you what are you playing right now? Um I've got I got um Jedi Fallen Order the other day on um, oh, PS Plus. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And um, I've started playing that and I've got, I kind of bounced off it a while back, but because it was like on the PS Plus, like this month, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll download it. And then I've started playing. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm getting into it. Yeah. It's like what in that game, once you get your character beefed up, like it becomes a lot more fun because you stop dying so much. Yeah. I mean, I play Souls games anyway. So for me, this is kind of fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so um, for me, like I was, I know that they've made the, like the games like Star Wars canon now. So like before, I was kind of didn't really care to go back to Star Wars, but now I know they're like tying this into like Obi Wan and all those shows. So it's kind of like making me consider going back to Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember Star Wars back in the day and that kind of thing. So for me, um, I, I love Star Wars and I really enjoy it. And there was probably a time when I was a kid when I absolutely loved it, but I'm not one of those uber fanboys. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, I kind of enjoy it for what it is. I like to just be entertained. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if it's got good effects and the story's half decent and the acting's decent, I'm going to walk away happy. But I'm not one of those, you know, like the MCU stuff where people pick holes in all of the tiny little things. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't do that. I haven't got the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, I got, I've got, a fourth kid on the way but like you know i was wow. trying to show my my daughters yeah <laughs> um i was trying to show my daughters star wars and i fell asleep you know every time we sit down and try to watch them i'm i'm out <laughs> so yeah, my son's seven and he's not interested at all I'm, but i'm not gonna force it on him either but i was just like you know do you want to watch star wars he's like no nah, i don't like it dad i'm like all right all right <laughs> moving on <laughs> uh well my kids do like lord of the rings so i guess that's cool it's a little more exciting than star wars i mean that might be blasphemy yeah. to some people but well it's it, i'm just one you know i'm easy going i'm each to their own i love all the mcu stuff i love lord of the rings i you know I, I don't class myself to be i don't know i just i just like good films and if you're entertained and it's fun then then you know fine that's 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 the whole purpose of movies like the mummy yeah. is the perfect movie because it's just a popcorn flick you can sit back yeah. and watch it as many times as you want and be entertained by it agreed entirely it comes on the tv and it just stays on the tv you know because yeah i get you okay so i i got, I got a few questions about music all right so like when i saw that you guys had a new album coming out i was i was stoked you know that was like I, because i've been trying to like I know 2007 was the last album. It was quick the word, sharp the action, and then I know you guys were doing like some acoustic stuff, right? As Undead Raisins. Yeah, that was just me and um, the Andy, and we just wanted to, 
no, I, you know, it, funnily enough, I like the songs that I've written. So I kind of ended up with a bit of an opportunity to just go and play some shows. And we got our friend Tom um, to play extra guitar. And it was just really good fun. We did a couple of festivals and a couple of shows, and it was really cool. Um, so it wasn't with it intention of sort of it going anywhere. It was just like, you know, we like each other. We're all, everyone in the band is like good friends. So it was just kind of one of those things that me and the Andy wanted to do and and, and did. So yeah, cool. I mean, that that's awesome. Because I mean, like, if if you're able to, you know, if, if you don't get tired of the songs you write, you like the music you're doing, you're able to just like jam with your friends. I mean, that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I make music for self-gratification, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, I think that's what everybody should do. You know, if you're writing songs or whatever, write for you because you're the one that's going to potentially be playing them in 25 years' time. And if you can't find something to enjoy about them, then obviously play something else. But, you yeah. know, I still find something to enjoy, you know, from these songs after all this time. And it's it's nice. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you, you did the Undead Raisins, and now you have um, now you have uh, Glorious Sunset coming out. So what, after, what, it was like 16 years, so what made you want to put a new album together? Well, I think um, the idea was that we, we were talking about sort of, I can't remember which order the conversation took place, but our booking agent is a really nice guy called Rad Saunders. He's amazing. He's been our booking agent for ages, um, and he works at a company called X-Ray. But there's another guy that works at XRS called Sean Faulkner, and he's amazing as well. And he was the guy that sort of put the Undead Raisins thing together. And then he said, well, that was really cool. That was really good fun. Did you enjoy that? I was like, yeah. And he said, well, why don't you think about maybe doing some 100 Reasons shows or something like that? And I was like, well, I'm not against it. You know, I had a really good time. But, you know, everybody's kind of moved on. Everybody's doing their own thing in life. You know, Larry's a record producer now. Um, Andy our drummer does um, tour production stuff and works with like the 1975 and Queen and Adam Lambert and Pearl Jam and stuff like that you know at a quite high level yeah so it's not that we were out of each other's lives on purpose but we weren't sort of what you call in regular communication because everyone's just doing their own thing so we finished Undead Rays and stuff and Sean kind of put the idea and I said well there's got to be you know a good idea behind it or whatever so Sean spoke to Rad He's kind of the hundred reasons guy. Um, and he said, well, okay, we'll talk to management. And we all had a chat and we all sat down and we said, well, maybe we should just see if we can hang out and and write some new music and see how it goes. And, and we did, and it was amazing. And it was just, you know, like, I think the Andy came down to Larry's studio in London for the day, whatever, and they jammed on some tracks or whatever. And then I sort of came after work and we wrote there's a track called uh, right there with you which hasn't been released yet it's kind of can obviously be on the record but that came out of that first session and it was just unbelievable and we're like wow this is really cool because the whole point was is you you can't you can't force things and i think some bands have come back and it sounds really forced and you know you haven't done anything for a long time and it sounds like you're just there to kind of do it there's no sort of what i'd call sort of quality control and if it didn't feel right for us and whatever and that meant on a personal level as well as on a creative level, then nothing was going to happen. But we all came away thinking, wow, this is incredible. And we sent the track to Andy B's a drummer like that night because we were all on WhatsApp and stuff and everything. And he was like, whoa, this is great. And just every time we got together, it was just amazing. And it was actually magical. And it, it kind of, it didn't take us back to those kind of first rehearsals because it wouldn't. But what it was was just a real kind of understanding that when you know, when we get in a room together and write, something really cool happens. And when it's organic and when it's not forced and you're not on what you might call the recording treadmill, 
you know and it's just there this this kind of stuff and I think we all realized we had quite a lot to say as well you know with that sort of content um so it just ended up and I mean I you know I don't know when this podcast is going out but at the time the album's not come out yet and I think we're about four tracks in in terms of singles but like there's still amazing stuff to come on that record because it's just all amazing and we listen to it all the time and I can listen to it as like not from my own you know not like I'm in that band I can listen to it and go wow love that love that record so would you say like the chemistry was still there when you guys all got together and it just kind of flowed all that creativity that was stored up over that 16 years yeah we just we just write really really well together and it's easy and maybe towards the end of the last time round with the fourth record maybe it wasn't easy and it was a bit forced and it didn't mean that i wasn't you know i can look back on the record quit the word and go yeah there's some great stuff on it but some of it was a bit forced whereas with this new stuff it was just like boom boom and we'd be writing like two songs a day and the record's got like 10 tracks on it and I think we probably wrote about 20 or 24 something like that so there's even like a whole another album that's just on the cutting room floor that we liked actually you know there's stuff on there that's really good but just stuff that we thought but you know what this doesn't just doesn't work like well enough so it was in a it was in a nice position to be in where we could like choose the tracks for the record out of you know what was already a really good pile yeah hey well if it's any consolation like just the what the four songs you guys have put out like i've listened to them over and over again and they're pretty dang good man yeah thank you i mean i'm really proud of them so uh, yeah i I agree with you they're amazing yeah (laughs) yeah i mean you, you deserve to be proud of it like it's like you said there's a lot of bands who are pushing things out like it seems like post covid a lot of bands have been like I don't know, like reuniting or you know put just pushing new albums out and you know very few of them sound that good yeah well, we um we sort of started like writing before covid and then obviously it happened so the sessions became a lot more sporadic but every time we got together it was still like magic was happening um yeah. and it was really cool um so yeah it's kind of one of those things where you have to kind of you know having I suppose the thing, the biggest thing was sort of trying to keep it a secret from people that it had been happening because we didn't want there to be any sort of big anticipation yeah. until the, until it was ready to come out. So it's like, you know, here's a new single, everyone. And people go, whoa, was not expecting that. So there's none of this kind of, oh, 100 reasons are back together and writing in the studio again and, and that kind of thing. It was yeah. really around kind of there being no expectation and it being a bit of a, a surprise when it happened. Yeah, I mean, that also gives you guys the freedom to kind of do things on your own time, though. There's no, you know, timeline and people hounding you about when the album's coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, the idea was to kind of have the album out in sort of 2021, but obviously tons of stuff got in the way. Um, You know, and in fairness, I think because of the stuff getting in the way, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been ready in 2021. So we haven't been sitting on it for like two years. I think it kind of pretty much ended up being like completely finished, probably about three weeks before the first single came out. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and it sounds too that you guys, this album kind of, I guess, demanded to be made, you know, instead of you forcing things out over the course of, uh, you know, so many years just because you felt like putting something out like this. This, this probably sounds like it's going to be one of the most genuine albums, you know, that have come out in a while. Um, I mean, I can say sort of from being in it, that you know, that it is um you know and, and if anybody you know people can have their own opinions and they're totally entitled to them but sort of being in it this was just an absolute joy to make um and an absolute sort of labor of love and you know we all bonded a lot more over it 
as well um in a really kind of good way because we've all grown up like we're saying we've all got lives and other things going on so you know yeah it was amazing yeah so i've i've been listening to uh the hundred reasons podcast that's been out you know and that's like <laughs> It, it, it's got a lot of really good stuff in there. You know, like I, I listened to, I was telling my wife, I'm like, these guys are a class act because like I was listening to uh, something you said about, I forget who it was. You said you like waited outside to meet somebody and then he came out and he's kind of a jerk. Um, yeah, that was, that was Phil Anselmo from Pantera. Yeah, yeah. And you had made a comment like, you know, you want to keep the fans happy because at the end of the day, they're the ones that like pay for the music. And, you know, there's there's a lot of truth to that, that a lot of musicians are really cruel to their fans but you know it sounds like you know you guys were never like that it's just done it's unnecessary that's the whole point it's unnecessary it doesn't mean you it doesn't you know we had to like postpone the last shows which i'm you know and i'm always sorry for having to postpone stuff but you know that's going to irritate people and it will but you obviously don't want to go out of your way to annoy people and, and you just shouldn't be like that to people in general right you know just just be nice to people you know and be kind and and stuff like that you know that's all you need to do you know i was in the store the other day and I'm, it's because you're american so i'm in the store but in the uk <laughs> so i'm in the shop but i'm in the store and then you know and someone's got a load of um shopping or whatever and i've got like two bits like some milk and some bread you know and just a person going oh do you just want to go and yeah you know just even like little things and i would do that to another person quite happily because i do i just think you know be nice be nice to your fans if you're in a band um but just be nice in general don't it just doesn't matter what you do. I don't care who you are in life. Yeah. There's no need for it. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally costs nothing to be a decent human being. It doesn't. And yet we spend so much of our time, some of us, not not being that. So, yeah, just, yeah, be respectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, I, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and be thankful. You know, if you're in a in a good position, that's what I would say about, you know, the, the career that I've managed to have, you know, which has had its ups and downs, but you know, being able to tour and have a great time and and do those kinds of things, you know, that's that's a position of privilege because not everybody gets to do it. It's not just something that everybody can do. And I don't mean that from a talent perspective. I mean, as in terms of opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, be appreciative, be glad, you know, you're if you can get, if you can do something you absolutely love and make a career out of it, you know, be grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. But, you know, you read some stories, uh, you know, and some musicians like they're you wonder how they still have people who like them around. Yeah, but then also you can look at some people who just like there are people out there that like to be treated badly <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there's suckers for it and stuff like that. I know, but um, yeah. And um, I mean, the thing is, right. Sometimes if it's your kind of like, so over here in the UK, obviously you have like a band like Oasis mm-hmm. where the whole shtick is like, you know, be arrogant, be like that. And that's fine because, because if you're always going to be like that, that's all okay. But like the flitting from being cool to not being cool, that's, that's not cool. So you know, from my perspective, you know, when I look at bands like Oasis, you know, and arguably as well, if you sat down and spoke to these people on a one-to-one level, most of them would probably be quite nice anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I've met people in like really seriously heavy bands and everything, and they're all like really nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's, um, you know, I'm 
for for a while i was really into i still am like into you know new metal and screamo and things like that and like you go to those shows and like nine times out of ten you go and talk to those guys they're, they're going to be super nice to you like they're just grateful because mm-hmm. they're you know they're recording on their smaller level bands i guess you could say and they're just grateful to have people out there yeah so in the podcast you keep mentioning the term trying to crack america what does that mean I know that America is like when it comes to musical taste, it's like a, a child's birthday party. There's just noise everywhere and none of it really like meshes with each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't think it's um I don't think the phrase is crack America. I mean, my only time like playing shows, I mean, I did my first two records were recorded in New York in a place called Magic Shop, which is amazing. It's not there anymore. And we did that with Dave Sardi, who's incredible. But the only shows we ever played were actually in Texas which was at South by Southwest, which is incredible. But when we sort of talk about, or the UK talks about cracking America, it's not about, it, it's about sort of having an audience. Mm. So you can, you know, if you look at America as a country, right, it's amazing anyway, just like, you know, and it's got its good parts, it's got its bad parts, just like everywhere else in the world, right? right? But if you are a US band, for example, you can start on one side of the country, work your way to the next, and then come back again and back again. You can do that forever. As long as you've got people coming to your shows and buying T-shirts and that kind of thing. So you get a chance to kind of build an audience. And and that's what British bands like to do. You know, England's really small. So you do like 10 shows in England and you can't tour again for a few more months because people have seen you. Yeah. Whereas you go from east to the west coast of America, by the time you get back to the, you know, you get to the west coast. And then by the time, you know, you, you start again on the east coast or whatever, it's time to do the round again and you can do that. So... um when we think about cracking America, what we're really sort of talking about is, you know, connect, to me, I like, you know, I've got lots of friends that are American and they've always just been great people. So why wouldn't you want to go to that country and play shows there and have fun? So for me, it's just about what we wanted to do was, you know, there, there's an opportunity there to build a sustainable career if you can do well in America. So I know like the Brits talk about cracking America a lot. I don't think I've ever said I want to crack America. What I want to do is go to America and play shows and go on tour in america because i never really had the chance to do that do you guys have any plans to maybe one day come back over here and try it um i think it's one of those things where if it's you know we're all at points in our lives where it's not about it's not about making money but it kind of has to be viable to do it because we've all got families and mortgages so you can't just go to your wife love you loads babe just off to america for two weeks or three (laughs) weeks or whatever i'm gonna come back with no money and i've used up all my holiday um cheers so <laughs> no but if you go i'm gonna go to america for a couple of weeks and play some shows where there's going to be people there to come and see you you know a friend of mine called um re shepherd runs a bar in new york i think it's called saint vitus and they have lots of kind of cool bands that go there so if we went there we'd love to play there but i mean when you kind of look at your spotify stats at the moment there's like a surprising amount of people in the u.s that actually listen to my you know to the band Mm-hmm. so you know but then again america's so big it's all spread out so you can have a hundred thousand fans in america and that's like a hundred in <laughs> however many towns or whatever. yeah exactly right so it's uh it's difficult to sort of quantify but um yeah if there's an opportunity to go to the u.s i'd, I'd love to go i love america i've had a yeah every time i've been there it's been amazing hey hope you guys make it out here i'll uh you know i'll be there happy days yeah yeah all right so i mean well okay so speaking of you know america and music like i actually in transitioning here into video games like i actually f- discovered you guys playing a video game 
I was playing okay. um, Midnight Club 3 on the PSP. I remember I got one for my birthday one year, and then I worked at a movie theater at the time, and right next door to the movie theater was a Tower Records. So, like, I I played the game. I heard the song. I'm like, oh, man. it was um, Stories with Unhappy Endings. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, it was really good. So I went next door to uh, Tower Records, and I found your guys' uh, Shatterproof is Not a Challenge inside the import section and like i was i was a huge fan you know from that point forward but i couldn't Amazing. i couldn't listen to anything else that you guys did because like itunes hadn't uh you know hadn't come out yet so they're <laughs> they all all i could get was what was you know brought into the import sections at these record stores but um you know i i that was kind of my first uh you know foray into your guys's music and it's you know you guys that that was a uh I don't know. There's just something about the way your your guys' sound. Like it's a mixture. Of, what what would you call it? Like it's not new metal, but it's like grunt, like grungy, but like rock. I, I guess alternative. I, I think we just. Um, I mean, this is the thing, right? Whenever you kind of put a label on something, someone's always going to disagree. So for me, I just like just I just tell anybody I'm in a rock band. Yeah, and yeah. then and then that and then anything else kind of falls in between that pretty much. Um, so you know, I like like the I like heavier music you know when it's good um mm -hmm. you know some of my favorite bands are like mishugger and converge ah, um okay. and stuff like that so when it's done well it's it's incredible and there's nothing quite like it so for me i'd probably call those bands obviously sort of metal bands but then mm -hmm. even converge are kind of like a hardcore band you know i used to listen to like sick of it all yeah. and a lot of that stuff back in the day uh, which i still like now but for me i'm just like yeah i'm in a rock band and then anything that's sort of you know anything within that you know is is what it is but you know me personally I, I quite like the heavier side yeah you know my first like foray into uh you know heavy music was probably like as la dying and under oath and bands like that yeah. so uh, i love um dinner escape plan as well you know, oh bands like God. that yeah 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 bear tooth bear tooth oh yeah one. yeah yeah they, had, they just had yeah. an album come out and like you know, those yeah. guys have been just consistently good over the years so you know, and some some bands they they can do that, you know, but you know other other bands in that genre kind of seem like they're forcing music out, and it's just or they're trying to like they're replacing guitars with electronica, and it's just not mm. what it once was. Well, I think the thing as well is when you're creative and you're doing it for quite a while, you kind of not through any kind of what you call evil intent or anything, but you kind of end up on a bit of a treadmill. Yeah, and I, and I and I definitely felt that towards you know the recording of Quick the Word Sharp the Action. I don't feel we were ready to record that that like previous record. Yeah, so you feel a bit on the treadmill, and you're like, well, I kind of got to do it. So it's not that you're not being creative, but maybe what you're not doing is being as creative as maybe you you would have liked to have been. Have you had a bit more time, and you're a bit more, you know, a bit less pressure and things like that? Because remember, this is. It's probably one of the worst things about the music business is it's the music business, right? Which, which is you know, it's about making money, and it doesn't matter what size band you are or whatever, you know. But you're you're making, you know, you're there for a label to not, you know, not saying everyone's out there to make millions of dollars because they're not, but but you know, but you've got to make money out of records to be able to continue to make records. Yeah, you've got to get money out of shows to continue to play shows, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, if you don't do an album, if you do a record. And then you don't do one, you know, not everyone's in a position of like Meshuggah or Tool, where you get to spend even before Tool took 13 years to release the, the last record that they did, which I'm going to say it now was rubbish. 
All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I thought that too. I just I haven't vocalized that opinion. <laughs> you feel like you feel like you're not allowed to say it. That's the yeah. problem. But it's rubbish. And trust me, right? I loved Undertow. I loved um Anima. I loved Ten Thousand Days. I loved Lateralists. I loved those records. They're yeah. incredible records. But the last one, 13 years for a pile of old rubbish. <laughs> But not everyone's in that position. And even before then, Tool would take four or five years between records, right? Which is cool because when you listen to it, you're excited about it and it's a really cool thing. So they're not kind of as on the treadmill as some bands are. But some bands are kind of like, like you say, you know, you've got to get new material out to keep the momentum going because you haven't been able to get into that world where you, you know, you you break what you might call a, a certain threshold where you can do that. Yeah. You can go away for three or four or five years and come back and your fan base will still be there. But while you're building up to that, and some bands will never build up to that. You know, I love um, Will Haven. Do you know Will Haven at Sacramento? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like stupid good band. Love Will Haven. And yeah. they're kind of one of those bands that kind of release stuff sort of as and when. But just sort of the type of music that they make, it's going to be difficult for them to have that kind of sustainable career. So their albums are more few and far between these days because of their other sort of commitments. But they have to keep the albums coming. Sort of back in the day when Al Diablo came out and WHVN stuff like that you know that stuff has to be on a bit of a treadmill because you need to keep people interested mm -hmm. and sometimes you can be as a band fine with that and be amazing every single every single time but for some people that's just not the case well looking at you guys though like your your responses on social media your fan base was you know they they seem to still be there and excited to see you guys yeah i think so and it's nice you know because yeah, it's just it's, it's one of those things. It's heartwarming. You don't really know, though, because we hadn't done anything for such a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not sort of constantly on it and knowing what's going on. Uh, but the response has been amazing. Um, and yeah, we're all like completely, you know, it's heartwarming, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's really nice. You go, wow, all these cool people are still around and listen to the music and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I've noticed, too, as like I've transitioned from you know back uh, like 10 years ago and you know i've become a gotten married become a parent like i don't listen to as much new you know as many new bands anymore as i once did you know like i'll try to catch things as they pop up on itunes from bands that i used to listen to but for the most part like i'm still a fan of the stuff that i listened to 10 years ago yeah me too um although i do always always check out the new coheed and cameo records because that last one back oh. too was incredible Oh my gosh! We so we actually me and my wife saw them in uh uh Austin last year, and it was yeah they, they were playing with the used, and uh, oh, right. yeah, it was just one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Wow, wow! Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was never really a big fan of the used, but on that first record, there's like three tracks on it that are just jaw droppingly good. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, there's like there's definitely three on there. I can't remember all their names. I think it was Noise and Kisses, and then it was Taste of Ink. Taste and then there was yeah, and then there was another one, but there's like three tracks on that record that are unbelievable. Like wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Box of uh Box of Sharp Objects is like one of my all-time favorite songs by them. Oh, fair um, play, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. So back to you know, let's 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 move into gaming a little bit here. All right, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Guitar hero, rock band, you know, these these music games that have like the peripherals on them. Do yeah. you think that if one of your songs came on to one of those games, you think that you could you get a hundred percent it? No, and one song did. <laughs> Wait, which one? So we had a track. I I worked on Guitar Hero. 
So um, I did some work on DJ Hero and Guitar Hero. I worked at Activision like back in the day. And then I think I think Guitar Hero 5 came out and um, we did like a download pack. So we had, I think it was a song. I think it was called I'll Never Know. I think that was the one. It was one of the songs off the Quick the Word album. Okay. And um, yeah, so that was on Guitar Hero as a free download pack. Oh. Um, but no, I could never. I'm I'm kind of a medium guy on Guitar Hero yeah well, I mean, medium that, settings that keeps it fun though you know like if uh, i remember playing um is guitar hero 2 when that came out you set it to was hard i think is the most difficult one and it, it's not even fun you know like it's satisfying i guess if you nail all those notes but it's just not fun anymore at that point no i mean i i i, I play games for for enjoyment only i am i mean my days of being good at games are long gone um <laughs> You know, I see my son plays like a bit of Minecraft or whatever, and he's kind of going in and out of the menus and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I know, I know what he's doing, but to do that at that speed, no chance. Um, and I got good at the original sort of Call of Duty Modern Warfare, like online when it was a thing. Yeah. Um, I got really, really into that. And I got really into like Gears of War, the first and second ones. I played that loads online. Absolutely loved it. But then I'm just nowadays, I mean, I, I go and do that stuff for enjoyment, but I'm not I'm not great at games anymore. And Guitar Hero, if it was coming to me now, I'd still be firmly on medium. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. You talked about Call of Duty and stuff, but where where did it start like every every gamer has that like game that made them a gamer like it, it was some a game that like made them want to keep going back to video games what what would you say yours was my first like proper computer was a commodore 16 okay right so that was like proper old school right with the old tape deck and everything and then i moved on to an amstrad cpc 464 which i'm not quite sure if that was even like a thing in the u.s but it kind of went up against the Commodore 64. It was in that kind of world. Okay. And it wasn't particularly great. And then I sold that and I bought, are you ready for this? I All right. Im imported Japanese Sega Mega Drive. Okay. Oh, which is nice. the Sega Genesis. So yeah. Which is the Sega Genesis. So I bought the Sega Mega Drive from Japan to the UK with Ghouls and Ghosts. And that was the one for me. Oh, that game's amazing. All right. So when you had the imported Sega, so the the Japanese Sega has the uh, the disc not disc sorry the cartridge slot isn't the same like they have those like rings yeah. around the outside of the cartridges, so yeah so it was really just um it was all to do with the what you call like um the cartridge lock, so yeah. when you when you put the cartridge in there's a bit of plastic that went in to lock the game into the system okay and generally I think with the U S because of the different shapes of the cartridges. The US and the UK ones had the same shaped cartridges. Mm -hmm. And and if you wanted to put a Japanese game in, you'd have to take a hacksaw, I think, <laughs> to the slot to make it wide uh, enough. Yeah. So the width of it was really quite quite thin. But if you had a Japanese one, you just removed the cartridge lock. You could just unscrew it normally with a Phillips screwdriver, take the cartridge lock out, and then just put the game in from <laughs> whatever territory and it would work really? for a while. Yeah. 
See, I didn't know that. You know, I was like, as an adult, I've been collecting like Japanese Sega games, and I had to buy a one of those like Retron HDs to play them. Oh, you should get a um. You could, you should if you've got the money, you should go for like um. There's two ways I would say if you go for like um, like an analog SG. Okay. Have you seen that? Oh, I've seen the analog pocket. I don't know if I've seen the yeah. The SG is like the Mega Drive one, and okay. it's full HDMI and everything else. Or if you're looking at actually playing on original original hardware, then kind of again, right? I don't have the money for this, by the way. So I'm not being blasé. I couldn't afford this right now if I really wanted to, but. If I had the money and I was collecting actual cartridges, mm-hmm. I'd get the Japanese Mega Drive, and then you get this thing. It's, it's called like a Retro Tink, okay. and it's a it's a video upscaler, but it's much better than. Um, have you heard of a thing called a Frame Meister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like a Frame Meister, but much better. Okay. So you get the Retro Tink, and it's like a five X, and it'll basically take any signal you put into it and upscale it properly to HDMI, and run really nicely without there being any issues. So yeah. So like I I remember I had so I was showing my kids my Sega Genesis this was last year and I bought like four or five different like HDMI convert the RCA to HDMI converters and the problem yeah. with a lot of new TVs is the fact that they won't um you know they won't you can't plug anything in that's not putting out a certain um, yeah. a certain amount I I what do you call it, like HD signal or whatever but... yeah it won't con- it won't convert the signal properly and it won't upscale it. you have to the retro tink is a few hundred dollars yeah if, you know like the frame master but my understanding is is that i'm again i've not tried it but apparently it's incredible and so anything else you have so if you've got like a super nintendo lying around you know that'll work too and you know you plug that in and it'll do it all and make it look amazing See it, man. Like retro gaming is an expensive hobby. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Sadly, I mean, I don't know how much you condone or don't condone emulation, but that's sadly the way I have to go. Yeah. So you know, as far as like emulation goes, like I have an arcade in my living room that I've actually like put a lot of emulators on, but it's nice. all it's all like I feel bad about it, but like it's all stuff that like I feel like I can justify because I've owned it at some point in my life. I I think. I think it's a yes or no. I think the issue I have is that the the availability of those games is non-existent. Right. For hundreds, right. hundreds of them. Yeah. Absolutely hundreds of them. So if you can get stuff officially, right, I I promise you, right? I mean, I've got all the games consoles, right? So I've got like a Series X and a PlayStation 5 and I've got a Switch. And those are my kind of main things at the moment. But if someone's going to bring out a retro compilation or something, I'm probably going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got it, and th- the money's there. I mean, I think you know, again with the Switch, with the Nintendo stuff, you have like Nintendo Switch Online and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I pay for everything I could feel I can pay for, and I don't sort of. But there's there's always going to be certain things where the availability just isn't kind of going to be there. Right. You know, I mean, at the, at the moment, right? I'm going to sound like really nerdy here, but you know, there was like, um, like did you ever play Earthbound on the SNES? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sequel part to that. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's like the in Japan they're called like Mother. Mother, oh, that, yep. yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a GBA Game Boy Advance sequel. It never came out in the West, so you can get a hacked translated ROM and run that on an emulator, and you can play the game. So, you know, I think you know it's not like we're in the modern age now, right? If something from 30 years ago. I'm not saying it has to be public domain. I'm not saying I'm not getting into even like a copyright issue here as well. The thing is, if something's not available and you can't get it, you know, I bought uh, Romancing Saga 3 mm-hmm. on the PlayStation because they'd 
released it and you know brilliant but i've had it on a hacked rom for like 20 years yeah so you know if, if you provide it but then also you've got to look at you know if you're looking at on a commercial level how many people are going to buy those games you know so if they bring it out and they produce it you know <laughs> right right well i know like for a while do you guys have game stops out there no we don't we only just have game <laughs> okay. um, and then we have cex which is kind of like the, the second hand store um we don't really have much in terms of retail we don't have gamestop or anything now we did have for a l- very short while a bunch of years ago but no yeah because i know for a while that they were buying like they were releasing um you know japanese rpgs strictly through them but they were only producing so many copies of it and they're upselling them by like you know charging about 150 dollars for them so you couldn't yeah. You know, if you're gaming on a budget, that's kind of not going to work out for you very well. I, I mean, I've still got most of my... So my thing, like, bearing in mind I'm in the UK, you guys in the US had loads of stuff that came out that wasn't available over here. So there were things like Chrono Cross, like a lot of the Square Enix stuff, like, um, I think, uh, I remember Xenogears not being out, you know, in the UK, you had to buy import. So I chipped my PlayStation, and I chipped it not for piracy, but because I could buy you know american games mm-hmm. and also over here back in the day it's not a thing now but we had like the pal ntsc thing where your games ran faster and full screen whereas because of our pal tv system they were 17 percent slower with black borders unless they were optimized which didn't happen very often it's not yeah. a thing now but back then it was a big thing so you know you'd be like buying shoot 'em ups and rpgs and stuff that were running slower unless you had the us version which was you know faster and and superior so every time i came over to the us to record records and stuff i'd be going into electronics boutique whatever it was called mm-hmm. back then and gamestop yeah. and buying all this kind of you know like things like vandal hearts and stuff like that for not a lot of money yeah but, the- and ntsc and grandia as well i bought grandia i remember buying that yeah grandia i remember um do you ever play arc the lad mm-hmm. so that was one I've that like the- oh sorry go ahead I've got the collection in my loft, the Ark the, Ark the Lad collection. Oh my gosh. See, like that's one that it they never released the single games over here. You had to buy them in the collection and they came yeah. out like after all the Japanese versions had come out. So like yeah. that was one that I didn't get to play until like the very tail end of my time with the PS1. And yeah. then, you know, when all the new stuff came out, like I started trading in all these old games and now I can't get them back unless I want to pay four four or $500 for them. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the thing for me. I mean, when you sort of trade stuff in, you kind of, you don't necessarily know it's going to be worth something later on, but right. even if it is, you know, but that's the whole point of emulation really, because again, right, I look at like, uh, I like Tales games, right? Like the Tales series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to get hold of Tales of Destiny, on the ps1 you've got to pay top dollar for that and yeah. Nam- namco could literally just go right here you go here's something on the playstation store nice emulation 15 20 dollars have it but they don't i and i don't understand you know. that at all because they're it's not like they're not going to make a profit off of that yeah i mean tales series to me is i mean i love love tales series and even like um i won't be buying the tales of symphonia remaster either i've still got it on my gamecube mm-hmm up in my loft and stuff like that so but i wouldn't buy it anyway because it's like a 30 fps version whereas the game keeps 60 fps so why are you putting something into 4k at half the frame rate 
So even stuff like that for me, you know, that's how nerdy I get. Sorry. No, I you're your fine. No, I, I agree. Cause like we, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, my, my wife is really into Galaga, right? So we bought the arcade one up version of, nice. uh, of Galaga and yeah. it was come to find out it was, a a PlayStation is an emulation of the PlayStation three version. So it had, it, you didn't have like the, was the rapid fire, like the original arcade one had, you just had yeah. like it only fired in like bursts of three and it ran a lot slower. So it wow. yeah, I mean, even when they're recreating or not recreating, but remastering these games, you're not getting the original version most of the time. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I've heard quite a few things about arcade one up and the quality of their uh hardware. I mean, I've certainly not felt the need to buy one. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's quite sort of dubious. Yeah. In my understanding, yeah. And parts as well and stuff like that. You know, I'm a I don't I don't have like the the time to invest in like arcade sticks and stuff, but I do have an arcade stick and I've got nice buttons in it and a joystick that I like, um, you know, for playing shmups and fighting games and things like that. Yeah. So I'm cool. But the joysticks that normally come with those things are more like a little bit. And I don't know if you ever bought like just an arcade joystick. So I don't know how into that you want to go, but you know, you have like your Sanwa joysticks and everything, which come with most of them. Yeah, and then you have I think they're I think it's Hayabusa I think which is like a Korean company that make arcade parts. But I get like I like um Seimitsu and they make really good. So there's like three really good kind of joystick makers. And if you buy just an arcade joystick on its own, right? So you're not trying to put it in anything. You're gonna right. buy it for your your stick or your cabinet or whatever. Like twenty five dollars. Yeah, that's that's so like an arcade actual arcade will be in an arcade machine like joystick is like $25, maybe $30 max. An arcade one-up won't put that into a, what, $350, $400 cabinet. Yeah, they just have the cheap little, like, plastic ones with the uh, ball that spins on top. Yeah, and the buttons are like, um, you know, you buy, like, Sanwa buttons or Semitsu buttons, like $2.50 each. Mm -hmm. like, and so, you you know, and Gallagher, like, maybe has three buttons on it if you're talking one-player, two-player in your shop button. I can't remember exactly, but... If you can't spend probably altogether maybe $35 on the joystick and the buttons. Yeah. It's not not a quality not, product. It's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's I mean we like we we got rid of it. We ended up getting uh like at games put out a ultimate arcade kit and that one you can actually like, you know, mod and put emulators on and stuff so that one's been a lot better, but Excellent. yeah, I mean it's it's an expensive hobby and uh arcade one-up is like we've had nothing but trouble anytime we've played around with one of those <laughs> yeah i'd leave those alone <laughs> yeah yeah um okay so you know as i so i i've had people like come, i mean i'm an english teacher right that's my my day job and like i always have anytime i talk about video games i have like kids come up to me and say hey aren't you too old to be playing video games and it's like breaks my heart man it breaks my heart and but it, it's I don't know, like, as I, I feel like as an adult, like, that's the one thing that, like, I can go to that, like, pulls me out of reality even more than, like, books and movies do. So, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. So what, like, in your opinion, what is it, like, as an adult that keeps you going back to games after, you know, enjoying them for all these years? I, I think I find a lot less games, like, compelling 
so I can generally these days sort of look at like a preview of something and kind of decide whether I think it's going to be something I'll I don't buy many games day one at all I probably maybe buy two or three games day one but most stuff I wait for it to kind of come into a sale but I think as long as it's something that I feel like I'm going to enjoy yeah and it's something that's kind of up my street and it's quite cool you know I do read reviews but I'm not always 100% influenced by them but there's certain things there's two developers I'll always buy day one no problem at all and that's anything from FromSoft which appeals to me I mean when Armored Core comes up Oh whether it's gosh. good or not i don't know but, but the thing is i've never really sort of connected with armored core so i'm hoping it's going to be really good and if you love armored core you're going to want it to be amazing but i got demon souls when it first came out you know mm-hmm. i imported that from america because playstation 3 is a region free yeah and even then i would played things like kingsfield and stuff on the playstation one but FromSoft games are generally released like in a not broken state and that's the thing for me. It's not about whether the game's going to be great day one. It's whether it's going to be playable. You know, even like I haven't bought the new God of War yet, but, you know, I'm sure it's very good. I love the first one, but mm-hmm. £70 in the UK is just a lot to spend on a game. Oh, it's expensive. So it is. Yeah. And that's cool. I don't begrudge that because, you know, that's they, they, they cost a lot of money to make. But the thing for me is from soft, it's, it's going to work day one and you're not going to have any issues. And even if there is a patch, That's fine. You know, the game would still work without it. Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip, or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. So there was a story a while back about the composer of Doom. Did you did you read about that? Where he was like, he told, yeah. he was told he had to like create all this music under a certain amount of time, and then like the the director was telling him they weren't going to use his tracks after he already did all that work, and they ended up using it again. It sounds like a messy situation, but yeah, yeah. it was messy, and I think also there was um, some issues with the quality of like the the actual soundtrack. Like, I think maybe they were selling the soundtrack and the, the production was just not up to scratch. There was lots of things that went on around that. Yeah. Um, I think it's really hard to say what really sort of truly happened because we're not there. But I think it's, um, you know, the thing as well is that, you know, if he's commissioned to do a certain amount of work, sometimes these composers do more than what they're asked of. Yeah. But I think I think sometimes what happens is, is that, business people are very good at taking advantage of creative people. It's probably the easiest way that I would say it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a creative person usually takes a lot of pride in what they do. And if that means putting in a few extra hours or giving or over delivering or something like that, it's because they really want the person that's going to be using this to have the great end experience. You know, this is, this composer isn't necessarily writing the music for Bethesda or, you know, it's software, whoever's making Doom. Yeah this composer's writing it because he wants 
fans of the game to have a great time playing it and be immersed in what's going on. He wants that to link to the experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, just like with any other creative industry, people people take advantage of that. So whether that's really taking place, because I know there's a lot of he said, she said, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but, you know, I definitely read about it. But as to what's really gone on, obviously, I don't know. But I remember once a, um, somebody I knew like wrote to him to get advice and he responded very kindly and very supportively backed with advice to help this person, you know, yeah. help them with their, their career, if you will, in trying to get into music for games. And that was between Doom games, by the way, I think. <laughs> so he's, yeah, so he sounds like a good dude in real life. Well, I get the impression that he is. And the yeah. thing as well is a lot of these people that go up against the big people aren't necessarily in a position to want to do that. But it's your it's your creativity. It's your work. And, it's true. you know, yes, you've signed a contract for it to be used in a certain way. But if someone said we're not going to use it and then we're going to use it, yeah. you know, technically, technically, if they've paid for it, that's up to them because they paid for it. Yeah. And, and that's not nice. But whether that's genuinely the case, it's hard to say. You know, and then you have games like Celeste. You ever play Celeste? I can't play Celeste. It's too hard. Uh, it is crazy hard, but it has such a beautiful soundtrack. I, in fairness, I don't think I... Those types of games, to me, like Super Meat Boy and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I, I, I like the idea of them, but I think they're just a little bit too tough out of the starting gate for me yeah. to... Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if you're like, if you're younger and more you know inclined great but for me i'm just like i'm put off by it <laughs> <laughs> they are crazy difficult and i don't know if you've ever seen the there's a documentary called indie game or, or and i forget i think that's what it's called but it's like they chronicle the creation of super meat boy and i just like sat there watching those guys play that game over and over again yeah i think Disney. it was had the, didn't have the guy that did um fairs and stuff as well yes yep I think, yep yeah i think i've seen it yeah it was a long time ago so my memory's fuzzy but i think i watched at least some of it yeah that was, yeah that was a good one do you have a list of games that you're either playing or you intend to play this year and beyond you got like a back catalog or a list of games coming out that you're excited about are there any games i'm excited about coming out i'm excited about it's m2 shot triggers guys it's the dumpachi daeju i'm excited okay. about that coming out Wait, wait, sorry, what's it called? The Donpachi Dai. I think it's Daeju. Okay. You pronounce it. It's an old, it's M2 doing an old game, but, you know, doing a great job of it. Um, I don't think there's too much really that I'm necessarily looking forward to. You going to check out the uh, Dead Space remake at all? Nah, I'll get it when it's cheap. Fair. I'm just not really, you know, I played it the first time round. Um, so for me, you know, I'm guessing there's going to be a few new things in there, but I'm not overly... I mean, to be honest, right, when I played the first Dead Space, it didn't scare me. There was, was only fun, one, though. It, yeah, it was a great game. I yeah. mean, like, visually, gameplay, fan, it was a fantastic game. I think there was only one part that scared me that was quite early on where it gave me a jump scare. But other than that, it didn't really... Yeah, it didn't really do it for me. But... Yeah. It was a brilliant game, and I did love. I loved playing it. To me, I suppose it was more like playing Resident Evil Four. You know, yeah. it's not necessarily scary, but it's just so well done and action and brilliant. Doing it, yeah. So I can't be worried about that. I'm going to get God of War at some point. It's I. So. I just finished it. Like it's it's a 
it's big you know it's a lot there's a lot more to do in it but it's it's a it's good it, it wraps it wraps the story up really well excellent so so there'll be that to to probably play at some point um like i said i'm playing star wars jedi fallen order i probably will delve into a bit more tales of arise mm-hmm. um and then i've still got such a i've got a back catalog of absolute shame um, <laughs> how many games are we talking well i looked at my ps3 ps4 library and just that is 500 jeez all right you never know, mind you so make- yeah <laughs> so i'm not gonna make i mean some of it's arcade stuff which is fine um but i'll look at you know i'll get further into things like persona 5 royal and yeah. stuff like that as well so i think you know i'll be dipping into stuff but in terms of like stuff that's coming out i haven't really seen anything that says yeah buy me yeah um you know, or see. I mean, I'm not interested in the new Tales remaster because unless that's 60 FPS, um, I'm not bothered. Otherwise, I'd potentially just have it to have it. Um, but other than that, no, which makes me sound quite boring. I mean, I, I yeah. agree. Like, outside, there's, you know, Final Fantasy, the two Final Fantasy games coming out this year. Like, that's, I don't really have a lot on my plate that I would am interested in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the new um, Zelda game could be really good mm-hmm. so oh, i'll tell you what if it comes out this year metroid prime 4 you think uh, that's been that's been a myth for like five years now you think that's actually gonna make an appearance here i think it's gonna happen at christmas all right all right all right i think they're gonna get the hype up for the next zelda because that's fine mm-hmm. and then i think whether there's e3 or not i don't know but there'll be a nintendo treehouse or something around that time and they will show you Metroid Prime 4. The, the good thing about what I love about Nintendo is that they don't um, show you stuff necessarily too soon. I know they have with the new Breath of the Wild, they kind of, but they do stuff very sort of calculated. And they usually, unless it's COVID or something gets in the way, but generally they they know what's going on and when it's going to be done by. Yeah. If anything, I think Nintendo are very good at is being very good project managers. So I think it's in good hands of Retro Studios. They know what they're doing. They made the last Metroid Prime games. Yeah. So I think the only thing Nintendo will have is over them is like, you know, this has just got to be an absolute, you know, amazing game, which I think it will be. So for me, I think Metroid Prime 4 is going to be the big Christmas release for Nintendo. All right, everyone, you heard it here first. Colin thinks that uh, Metroid's coming out Christmas, so we'll revisit that at a later time. But <laughs> and the emphasis being on on thinks or hopes, maybe it's just hopes. I don't know. Same it way. honestly wouldn't surprise me though if Nintendo actually has all these games finished, but they're trying to like you know stifle out their releases at different points. Well, the thing for me is, if Metroid Prime Four doesn't come out this Christmas, I I, I think that there's I think. I think there's going to be new Nintendo hardware next year. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if there wasn't um, because the Switch is just getting really old. Yeah. And I don't need anything more actually than a Switch 2.0. That's all I'm happy with because I love the Switch. I think the Switch is incredible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So Nintendo, just make a Switch 2.0 with an OLED screen and a beefier NVIDIA Tegra, whatever you want to do with it. I don't care. I don't need a portable PlayStation 5 or something. I've, you know, just make a really good, nicely powered, you know, Nintendo never do that thing where it's super high spec anyway. They've never done that. It's just always been about great games. But make a machine that can 
run your games well and smoothly at 60 fps and i'm going to be happy and i think that that could be a you know this is something that could be announced around zelda time or just after with again there being a spring release with metroid prime 4 at that time as a launch title however yeah Yeah. failing that i want metroid prime 4 for christmas or i want as a launch title for the new hardware spring next year all right and maybe like a sequel to mario odyssey or something yeah potentially um i mean there's not been a while. It's not going to be, yeah, but it's not going to be Mario Kart Nine anytime soon. They'll be getting those booster packs out of the way, won't they? <laughs> They'll still, yeah, two years from now, we'll still be playing Mario Kart Eight. The thing for me, though, right? And I'm sorry, we're just divulging a little bit more, but go for that, it. If you're never going to, what can Nintendo do with Mario Kart Nine? What can they do? No, I they've mean, kind they've of got like the perfect game in that genre. Mm-hmm. What they're doing, it doesn't get really better than that. It just needs to. The fact that they've just released more tracks is kind of all you really need to do yeah i think what i'd like to see is new original tracks rather than remakes of older tracks which are welcome i'm enjoying them but you know it's such a complete package how do you how do you make mario kart 9 how do you even do that you i I guess you can't but i mean you know i wouldn't mind seeing like a compilation a mario kart compilation with like pieces from older games all put together yeah I mean, that's kind of what they're doing, I think, at the moment with the tracks, but I just don't see how Mario Odyssey is just, you know, it's great gameplay, it's brilliant, you just make a new adventure game, it's great, but Mario Kart 9, I'd hate to be the person making that. <laughs> how do you? Well, that was like Super Smash Brothers, right? Like, it, it, yeah. it was great, so how do you make another Smash Brothers game after this? Like, this game had pretty much I everything. I don't know if they're going to, I think that's the thing, I don't think they're going to. I think that was the whole point, wasn't it? It was kind of like a bookend. We go, look, it's going to be everything you need, everything you want, all in one package, and it is. Yeah. See you later. (laughs) Yeah, right. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Like, what do you do? Is it Mega Ultimate? I mean, you can't go any farther than that. Like, maybe that's the the, uh, swan song. Yeah. But I just think with Mario Kart 8, it's like, in that genre, it's just the perfect game. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get any better. It 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 is it is you know I like I I coach esports at the school I work at and like those <laughs> kids they I they love Mario Kart like I sit there and they like scream at each other over like it is the perfect game yeah exactly so yeah I mean yeah I don't know that's one of those things in it where you can't imagine what they're going to do next if no. they do anything no no I mean maybe just leave it alone and just keep uh <laughs> keep adding things onto it if it the so moment. If if you're going to get into a world of like games as a service, which I don't always necessarily, or I'm a big fan of, you know, because it's a lot of it is about sort of milking your your client base. But if you've got something like that where you've got the core experience is so good, yeah. that it's just how do you improve on it? You know, then surely that is the point where you're just getting more content. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's like uh, Halo Infinite, right? That like they're they're like this is going to be the platform for all the new Halo games coming out. So it's just going to be adding on to the same game. And maybe that's where we're headed. I don't know, but possibility. Yeah, I need to finish the first one, though. The first one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Little dick back. there. Inky yeah, yeah. Hands, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, I appreciate you uh, chatting with me. You know, for 100 Reasons, what, uh, the new album comes out. What's happening beyond the album release? I think at the moment we've just got a couple of shows that'll be around the, around the time in the UK. And then just like, uh, we're playing a festival in the UK called 2000 Trees, which is incredible. 
we'll be doing that in the summer but apart from that who knows yeah well i mean you know if you guys like i said if you guys ever come out to the states man I'm, I'll, I'll be there amazing yeah yeah but uh yeah thanks for you know ho hopefully we can chat again you know maybe when that metroid announcement rolls around but <laughs> <laughs> sounds good sounds good that's nice one josh man it was a real pleasure yeah thank you you too man